Welcome to season two of Summer League. I'm Brock Gordon, and I'm talking to people working in education about their ideas on how learning works in 2020. My guest today is Rachel Simcoe. She's the National Art Department Head for Fusion Academy, and she's based out of Tyson's Virginia campus. So Rachel, um, <laughs> what's uh, what's working for you teaching virtually this summer, and um, what is definitely not working? <laughs> Just this summer, or do you mean um, like right now, or do you mean like over the last couple of months? <laughs> Say like the last couple of months. Well, technically, I've been successfully teaching classes, um, but I think the the real struggle has just been maintaining a kind of connection with students, keeping them um, on task and focused and invested in the class. That has been, that has been the real challenge. What, what's been working, um, you know, has just been being able to teach um, and navigating the fact that we're now fully remote and I can't be there physically with the student. Um, so that's been, that's been interesting. <laughs> yeah. Finding lots of um, creative solutions to that, but mostly um, the issues um, is just that looking at a screen, even if the other person on the other end of it is looking at you in real time, is just not the same. Totally. I think some of the assumption from the outside is how in the world are you going to have an art class virtually? <laughs> Like, have you gotten any of that from parents or, or students? Oh, yeah. yeah. I had one parent who wanted to sit in on, like, she wanted to, first she decided she just wanted to, like, cancel class altogether. And then we convinced her to, like, let, you know, let, let's do a trial phase. And then she wanted to sit in on the, the first trial session um, <laughs> to see how that was Oh, my gonna, gosh. Um, and I was like, I don't, don't trust your child, I guess, to say that whether or not it worked for them. <laughs> So, that yeah, was, yeah the, it's definitely, I had one student who, who oddly backed out, even though I'm, we were doing studio art, um, but it was actually going pretty well, I thought. Um, so I'm not entirely sure why he decided to, um, to wait until fall when we could theoretically uh, be, in, be there in person. But, um, but he also struggled with, uh, with autism. So it maybe it was just overwhelming for him, like trying to to navigate, like because you know I, I needed a camera, kind of looking at his work, um, so that I could give him direction and everything. So it might have just been maybe too much for him to have to like navigate all at once. So you know, it's great for some students, um, a problem for others for sure. You know, some of our kids have have learning disabilities and challenges, and. Uh, in that case, that can it definitely makes it even more challenging. Do you find that some of the classes over the summer are more technologically driven, like stuff involving cameras? Unfortunately, it's been it's been kind of a bummer on my end because I've actually found that I really enjoyed teaching the studio art classes um, virtually. In some ways, I could um, it may, it almost made me more interactive because. I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't just show them with with their work or, or explain it. Like I had 
to do a demonstration. Like in order to really help them, I had to kind of be doing what they were doing simultaneously so that I could help them out so that they could see what they needed to do. Um, and, and then that way, that was actually better for me because it, it was more engaging for, for me. Um, and I think that it helped me to actually uh, be a better teacher in some instances um, because like I had to be like a hundred percent on not, not that I'm messing around normally, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but you know, like it, it, it was, it was a little more challenging. So I had, I had to be, you know, fully present. Um, like, you know, in non-virtual sessions, sometimes, you know, we give the student a task and while they're working on it, um, you're, you're charting, right. Um, or, or whatever, preparing for the next part of the lesson. Um, and teaching virtually, I mean, you can be doing that a little bit, but the difficult, the challenge of engaging is like, is so much greater, um, that you can't, you, you can't really be doing that, which is unfortunately also why so many students struggle with it because they still try. (laughs) So, I mean, you you know, they're talking to you and they're kind of like, uh, huh. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, go do that. And like, do what? Like, (laughs) so yeah, that brings up something that I've been thinking about recently, which is control as the teacher, like generally I want a lot of control over what they're doing and um, looking at and something our AD brought up when we were talking about an observation um, was the idea of like control who's doing the uh, the screen sharing and usually I feel like I want that control and I'm like sharing my screen going through um, different artists and artworks and stuff like that and um, I'm thinking about like how to relinquish a little bit of that control and flip it on them. So there's a little bit more student centered and still get them to look at the things that I want them to look at, but do it themselves, like be in the driver's seat. But I'm like right there with the brake. Yeah. Also, (laughs) what do you like, what do you think about that? Like screen sharing versus getting the student to do everything, but you somehow like kind of navigate them. Um, I just, I try to, I do a balance, you know, um, ideally the best case scenario is that the students have the programs themselves and that the screen sharing is happening, um, from their end to mine. Um, not necessarily the other way around because, um, that means if they have access to the program on their own computer, then that means that they can work on it and use it outside of class. Yeah. That's, that's the ideal. Obviously, um, when it's the other way around, it's a little different. I've had some cases where screen sharing wasn't possible for some reason. Like I, I had one student who was working from a Chromebook and that thing would not let us do anything. Yeah. Not, yeah. Screen share, not annotate, like not, not share remote control. It was really frustrating. Um, yeah, I'm sure. With dyslexia. So me trying to give him direction, it was difficult for both of us. And I, but I, you know, ultimately I felt bad for him, but I mean, we, we do what we could. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly what we ended up doing was a lot of uh, screenshotting. <laughs> and then yeah. I, I would um, have him, I think he was able to share his screen and that was about it. And um, I would screenshot his work 
and then open it up on my computer and share my screen. And then I would annotate it in one of my own programs while he watched and then send him that image. <laughs> so you got to do what you got to do. That just created problems. So what, what do you think about like um, moving into the fall and kind of increasing your, your classes um, and kind of getting back up to speed with like more traditional art um, I'm, I'm also prepared if we have to stay virtual to make the best of that. I think now that we've done it, I know better how to do it. Um, definitely much more prepared than I was initially. Um, I think a lot of art teachers are. I've had, I've heard mostly positive feedback from most art teachers. I don't think, I think overall it's not anyone's first choice, but um, I think that everyone has really adapted pretty well, which is good. Um, most people, like, when you, your initial questions um, are, are skeptical, like, how are you going to do art? I mean, but it's not really any different, well, except for the interactive part, than watching tutorials on YouTube and that sort of thing, or like a Bob Ross video where he's painting happy trees and, you know, showing you how to do that, or like a Julia Child's cooking show, you know, I mean... We do, we do, we learn by observing, um, but the benefit here is that the student can ask questions <laughs> yeah. and we can pause and explain things again and in better detail or, or just a little differently so that students understand uh, better, you know, those different parts or it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Wait, what the heck is a fan brush? You know, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> oh, the fan brush. Just stay away from the fan brush, kids. Yeah, the thing <laughs> I think we're all like worried about going back is um, what is that going to be like? Because um, we are going to all have to continue being really careful and social distancing until there is like a vaccine. And so that's been interesting. Um, I think if we do get to go back, because I know like some States now are considering rolling things back um, and if our state or county decides to remain fully virtual, we will have to as well. I don't know why, but apparently that's yeah. the case. So, um, do you think that some, uh, subjects are going to have an easier time than art if we do go back physical? Like I can imagine English classes in a fusion setting being completely, you could be 10 feet apart and still make it work just fine. But art, I, I feel like anything to do with that computer is going to be problematic. Yeah, I, I found having like the dock cam um, is really helpful. I think what would be even more helpful is if our students had that set up. Um, I think I think a absolute 100% like, requ like requirement is going to have to be um, that students who are doing studio art in particular have their phones set up at, like as a as a doc cam for class like a, an actual setup like they have some kind of a not a selfie stick but uh, a tripod or something that they connect their phone to and have it not not just so that um we can see what they're doing which is vital <laughs> but also um so that they're not on it <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, you know, in class we can clearly see when they're on their phone and we can be like let's put the phone away um, you know, let, let's, let's put your phone in this box or whatever it is that other teachers do. Um, or just, you can tell that it's sitting there on the table and not in their hand. 
that it's a huge distraction, right? Um, and, and it, you know, again, we can't control everything that's on uh, the computer um, either, but um, that's, that's one distraction less that we have to worry about. That's true. Last year, um, last August, we went tech-free as a campus. And as you can imagine, we were met with a lot of disgruntled kids and it ended up being really cool. Like they started talking to each other more. Social homework cafe was better. They started playing ping pong with each other. Like it was, it was cool. I, I was thinking about this very question actually on my um, way home today. I stopped, I just stopped by our campus. Um, a student was dropping off some materials that I had lent them. And um, I was looking at my classroom and I was like, you know, what, what can we do? And I mean, I, I kind of envisioned like, I don't know, like I'm worst case scenario, I could set up like a, a plexiglass shield <laughs> um, between, yeah. I actually have two tables facing each other to make like a larger workspace. And I usually sit on one side and the student sits on the other and we kind of work back and forth and I get, get up and come around uh, when necessary. And I was like, I could, if I can't get up and walk to them, maybe I could like, I could put a door in the plexiglass thing. Like, you know, like, at, like when I like at a bank, you know, like slide it open and yeah. they slide their work over to me and I can show them one of the, it's reaching, but, um, honestly, sometimes for me, the fun part of dealing with stuff like this is, is the challenge of it is like, okay, now we have to problem solve this. Um, keeps life interesting, right? Totally does. I, I don't envy the students though, because I understand they're gonna have assigned seats, at least on our campus, homework cafe. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Right? I'm sure that they're just so excited about that. <laughs> um, so talk about like art, what art teachers should be doing to kind of update their syllabus and curriculum. Um, to talk more about social justice. Oh, that is actually a tricky one because, I mean, as I have learned, and I'm sure everyone is aware, um, not everyone agrees on this topic. And um, like discussing politics and religion in the classroom is something we have to be careful about. Not totally. because I don't believe in right and wrong. Um, I think that, that that's probably a problem with the debate. <laughs> Some people don't think that that exists. <laughs> Um, and other people think, you know, that it definitely does. <laughs> um, I think what we can do as art teachers in a way that is not um, to, um, I, I, wanna, I don't want to say prejudice, that's not the right word, but um, leaning in one direction or another is just practice being more fair um, and paying more attention to what we're teaching. Um, and um, making sure that we're being inclusive of, of everyone and everything. Um, I've definitely discussed with a number of teachers the huge deficits that, are, that there are just in the art history curriculum. Um, Africa is a continent, not a country, um, as some people uh, have heard uh, refer to it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it has, you know, 10 pages. <laughs> and an entire textbook that is the thickness of a, a Webster's dictionary. Um, that, that, and that, that, you know, amounts to both the contemporary and the, um, like 
history of their art. And that is just sad. (laughs) Um, And I, so I think, um, you know, it, it, and it's, it's similar for the, for Asia, there's definitely more of that, but, um, but that is a really good um, example of, um, of a deficit, of a clear deficit, uh, regardless of why you think that deficit is there. Um, I think, I think people get really wrapped up in arguing about the why um, and blaming each other and pointing fingers rather than focusing on solutions. And so I think um, the most positive thing that we as teachers can do is rather than um, continuing the argument um, is being, you know, quietly being a part of the solution. Um, Because, you know, all you have to do is is make that change, you know, is, is make sure that, um, that people of color and different nationalities and different ethnicities are being represented in the classroom, you know, and that people are familiar with them, that they're learning about them, that they are seeing them. Um, and once something like that is, once something is familiar to you, it stops being scary. Right. Um, you don't, you don't think about, um, Oh, that person's different. What does that mean? You know, like, but familiar with those differences so it's you know you don't even think about it like the idea of of being discriminatory um and all that a lot of that just comes from ignorance and fear and so just by educating our students without taking a position um you know just doing our jobs basically um you know that that's a huge huge um solution i think to to the problem that's going on yeah i you know I think one of the legs up we have is that students don't have as much of that baggage as adults do. Um, so just sh- like they haven't seen anything yet. So if you show them new quote unquote new stuff that they might not have in the art history textbook or in our regular, you know, what what might usually be in a curriculum, like your highly European diluted um, bank yeah. of images that they're looking at. Um, they haven't seen anything. European art um, was heavily influenced, you know, by Greek and Roman, who were heavily influenced by all the different cultures that they absorbed. Um, we spent a lot of time looking at like ancient Egypt um, and stuff like that. Um, you know, Persia was right next to Greece, and a lot of their stuff kind of flows into each other. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the Impressionists were heavily, heavily influenced by um, Asian art, specifically Japanese block prints. I went to France last year and I visited uh, Monet's um, home and gardens in Giverny. And um, his house is literally plastered with Japanese wood block prints. Like plastered, like like just everywhere, every room. Some of them, like, there, there's not much wall space, you know. Um, he had, like, artifacts from Asia. And... Um, you know, that's something that we could, um, you know, spend more time on in the classroom. Like, oh, hey, this is what they were being influenced by. And now we're going to spend some time focusing on that. And, then, you know, we'll come back to the Impressionists and that sort of thing. Um, like the fact that now the, the, you know, the highest form of art in the Western world is considered is, is more or less abstract art for the most part these days. You know, artwork that captures what is not seen or what, what can't be, um, you know, physically represented t- typically, or, you know, feel free to disagree. <laughs> but, um, but that was interestingly 
um, basically the philosophy behind art in ancient China long before, <laughs> right? It, before we discovered it, and right. um, so uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I I just wonder, like, I look at our curriculum sometimes and say like, okay, we study everything from cave art to, um, you know, the Egyptians, the Persians, the, uh, all these different cultures in the first section of art history and then treat early American and European, you know, everything Gothic, Byzantine, Renaissance, um, everything on, European as this like separate entity and those two things don't seem to talk to each other. And that's like the real, like what you're saying is they've, they've been influencing each other for as long as art has been made. Um, together and look at the language, look at Portuguese. If you listen to that language and you're just kind of sitting there like scratching your head, like it sounds like a crazy amalgamation of all these different languages. And it makes sense because they're, you know, primarily like a seafaring nation, right? They, they focused on trade and that sort of thing. So, so they, they picked up on everyone else's vocabulary. (laughs) So you're you're like, it sounds like several different languages being spoken at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But um, yeah, no, it's, I, I, I make the same point. Um, when it comes to um, math, I think uh, as a student, I desperately wanted to be good at math, but I struggled because I was constantly just given these equations and these theorems and, and other things. And they were just like, this is how it works. This is it. And I was like, but why? And and I was just supposed to, ex- and I, I, my brain refused to just agree. <laughs> yeah. Mathematics is taught primarily with zero context whatsoever attached to it. Um, yes. It is just numbers and equations. And then occasionally you get a word problem that makes you want to kill yourself. And <laughs> because all of a sudden they're attaching a context, which just breaks your brain a little bit because they've, they've spent all this time completely removing it from context not giving you any kind of like um, history or anything. And, and I feel like that's a mistake. I feel like we're depriving students in that sense. Um, yes. There's actually a lot of really fascinating, interesting history behind the development of mathematics and cultural as well, because it's not like we did it all. <laughs> no, no. I think it was um, the Arabs that came up with the concept of zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the idea that there could be nothing. <laughs> yeah. Every time you have to sub a math class, does this happen where you get the lesson plan and then uh, you're like, wait, I don't understand any of this. Why does this exist? And then the student is so used to kind of going with it that like, I really have to break it down. Like what is trigonometry? I don't understand why. And then we'll have to spend 10 minutes like researching what it's used for and how it's, how it comes about because otherwise it just, throws a bunch of words that you like sine cosine tangent it's this and they might as well just say like butter knife uh alfalfa like it's just words you know what i mean i enjoy subbing math classes um i i definitely have like a mild panic attack uh before each one because i'm always like oh my god please don't let me look like an idiot but um 
I I was studying for the GED a couple of years ago. Um, is it GED? I think I might be GRE. GRE. <laughs> yes, I do have my high school diploma. <laughs> um, I think I was discussing that with a student um, a couple of days ago. Anyways, yeah, GRE. I was going, you know, to grad school and all that stuff, and um, I was doing this thing online. I think it was called Magoosh. And they had all these different tutorials to teach you essentially test taking skills. And they taught, taught, they started teaching all these different reasoning skills when it came to math. And I was like, Oh my God, these would have been really useful in high school. Um, and in middle school where they, they teach you how to think, um, like they te- basically teach you how to reason and rationalize around numbers and equations without actually having to know how to solve the equation. And I was like, that would have been really useful information, you know, it would have really helped me to navigate things better and understand the way that they worked. But that context was never provided. Right. <laughs> and so I actually really enjoy as an art teacher, subbing math classes and having the challenge of, of, tr- of trying to bring context to this abstract concept, because that is, I think, what a lot of students struggle with is that same issue that I had when it came to math. And I honestly sometimes wish that I was qualified to teach math, because I feel like coming, for, for, coming at it from the perspective of someone who struggled with it um, and someone who is such a visual thinker, like in a different, and like I think abstractly, obviously, but in yeah. a different way, right? Like I need some structure, (laughs) some reference, something. Um, And I think I'm, I'm a little bit more equipped to, to do that. Um, But now that I I hope no math teachers listen to this recording, (laughs) because they can handle it. You're saying, yeah, just put like a, I don't know, little note on this video recording, not for math teachers. Well, I know you got to go to class. Uh, I'm going to let you go, but uh, thanks very much for uh, talking with me today. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope I wasn't too all over the place. You were perfect. (laughs) Um, Let's catch up soon. All right. Bye. Bye.